You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and we are joined today by the master of the fundamentals himself, Abby. What's going on, buddy? Fun- fundamental Abby. That's what you should after after my last episode here. Abby puts the fun in fundamentals. Manish puts the mental in the fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Abby? Oh, buddy, can't complain, man. Can't complain. I um, I think last week was uh, was was a very hairy week, but uh, mm-hmm. I came out unscathed. Maybe and a why, few, few bullet wounds. Few, few bullet wounds. And why is that? How did you manage to escape? Um, you know the the majority of the damage. Well, I, you know what? <clears throat> Cell discipline, baby. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. You know, taking some insurance out, putting mm-hmm. those stop losses in, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to cash, and. Uh, I, I still haven't fully dipped in, but, uh, you know, dipping in a little bit again. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? Which is today is essentially a market update. Um, it is Monday, March 8th. The episode will come out on the Wednesday as usual. Um, but I think it's just really important to take a step back here and kind of ask ourselves, what are we looking at? What is the broader landscape um, and how do we deal with this? And and it's a bit of a continuation from last week's episode, but I think there's a lot of really good debate right now. Um, And and Abby, you and I have this debate back and forth. And I think it's just so important to to take a pause here um, while we're going into earnings season for cannabis. Um, But there's also so many things going on. It it just seems like a really good time to break it down, try Mm -hmm. to understand this thing from every angle. Um, And we'll kind of give you, you know, how we're thinking about it, where the market is today, um, what we see ahead as potential catalysts and potential downside risk, and then you know a discussion of what to actually do about it and how each of us is incorporating this thinking into our portfolios. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds pretty uh, jam packed. We will see as as usual, right? So let's look. Let's kick it off. First of all, it seems like we're asking this question week over week more than ever, right? Uh, you know, okay, this just happened what now, right? And so so first, I think we want to be careful about being too um, reactive on the market week over week, right? Like, I think we talked about this last time that when we're all sitting at home, just watching our screens all day, it's not healthy. And ultimately, um, it can lead us to um, think too minute to minute instead of, you know, more medium or long term. For sure. For sure. I mean, it, it is, it's not healthy to look at your screen all day and you're right. It should be longer term thinking, but um, right now, given sort of the position that we're all in, or most of us are in where we are looking at our screens all day, it's, you'll, you, you can start finding some opportunities and you can start capitalizing on them, right? There are advantages to this as well as there are disadvantages to this. And I think, you know, I will, we'll go through both of them, but um, one of them, for example, is, what happened last week, you know, 10-year treasury start to rise. Uh, there was a sell-off. 
it was across the entire board. You know, if you were positioned well for it, then uh, it, there was nothing wrong with selling at that time or selling before that happened. Right, right. So, and look, one of like like you're saying, the reality is we are all sitting like the whole world basically is sitting there watching their screens all day. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of our favorite phrases here is don't fight reality, right? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you start from what the reality is and then you decide what you want to do about it. Right. So, um, you know, to your point, Abby, there are opportunities in this weirdness of the market to, you know, take advantage of it and try to make money on it. And one of those is market timing. Right. That's true. Now, so, you know, my bias is that I suck at market timing and that although it worked for me kind of in 2017, 18 and 19, um, the pain of trying to time the market in 2020 and getting blown out, you know, you know, selling everything and then watching it get away from me. Um, that's something I'm probably going to live with for the rest of my life. Right. And mm-hmm. that will kind of inform my decision making. But that doesn't mean it has to inform doesn't mean it has to be the basis of your decision making. Right. Everyone's decision making is going to be different. And Abby, to your point, there's a lot of money to be made if you can, you know, see around the corner and try to figure out where the market's heading. Right. Right. There definitely is. And it's it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, not everybody is, is good at it. I mean, and most of the times luck matters more than anything. Right. Um, I used to work for this one portfolio manager and he used to always say, I don't know if this was his quote or if this is a Warren Buffett quote or whatnot, but he used to always say, you know, your portfolio is like a bar of soap, right? The more you touch it, the more it degrades. Um, mm-hmm. And his whole thing was like, you know, you want to buy good quality companies and keep them for over long periods of times, or you want to rebalance every now and then, and you want to stick to a strategy. What is this guy, and, a boomer? I, you know what? I, I think, I think he was before <laughs> boomer. I think he was before boomer. He was the old, um, yeah, he was, uh, buying good quality companies. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Cash. Flow? What, 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 yeah. What, what century is this guy living in? Yeah, exactly. No, he was, yeah. So, so he, it was, it was a very old school style of, uh, investing and, um, right. Um, which is funny to say that now, but uh, no, it, it was just a different style of investing. It was a different world, right? I don't think he would say the same thing now. Uh, maybe well, he would. I'm, sorry, I'm being tongue in cheek here. I actually totally agree with like that mentality, and and me personally, that works better for me. Not not that it's just pure buy and hold, but to um, buy things you understand and then try not to mess with them too much, right? Yeah. Um, so that you know, again, going back to last episode. You need to figure out what works for you. It's not just about trying to maximize and get every dollar out of the market uh, because ultimately, you know, if you start swinging at pitches, you know, or if you start batting, you know, right-handed, you know, or left-handed when, when you're, you know, right-handed, yeah, it might, you know, you might think, hey, I'm going to confuse the pitcher, but, you know, if you can't actually hit the ball, it doesn't matter, right? right. So the analogy being you have to figure out the strategy that makes the most sense for you. For sure. For sure. So and, I, I love that bar of soap line. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that that was his whole strategy. And one thing that I do want to say about that about that strategy is that that works when you're looking at a portfolio as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, I prefaced it by saying he's a portfolio manager, and you know, you manage your your positions similar to a portfolio manager. Um, but in order to do that, you need to have a different type of discipline, which is you need to be able to keep cash on the sidelines, right? For when pullbacks like this do happen then you've got some dry powder to go into. 
Right, right. That's, that's a good point. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So I'm going to start by just giving you my core thesis here, okay? And mm-hmm. this is something that we're going to debate. But, um, you know, in, in usual CIN fashion, Abby and I are both going to debate both sides of this. Because, you know, although I, I believe this thesis, it's really important to not just have one viewpoint. It's important to say, this is what I think and this is my strategy. But then here's the flip side of, you know, what could go wrong or or why the strategy might fail. Okay? For sure. So the, For core, sure. the core idea basically is the U.S. cannabis opportunity is so good and we are hitting a really important inflection point that any weakness that we have is a quote-unquote buy-the-dip opportunity. Not every name, not at any price, but generally this is true. And we are standing on the precipice of unlocking so much capital in terms of what's ahead and so much um, in terms of fundamentals, in terms of unlocking states ahead, um, that I think it is really still in that golden age of investing for those U.S. cannabis companies. Mm -hmm. So to finish it off, do like, you know, we're going to go through right now kind of where we are and where we're heading and what, you know, what direction things could go. But ultimately, this subsector, this tiny, tiny little part of the market just still seems so attractively positioned that, you know, I I can't try to time this market too much because I don't want to miss it again. So I have to just keep buying the dips where I see value. Right. And that makes sense. And you know what? If your time horizon's long enough, or if your scope is long enough, or your conviction is long enough, these little dips are just blips at the end of the day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? The yes. amount of money, mm-hmm. the amount of money that you would have lost last week versus if you had sold the week prior to, it's insignificant compared to what you know is about to come for U.S. cannabis or for cannabis in general in the long run. Yeah, and and to be clear, I mean the amount of money I lost in the last two or three weeks is. Is, is a huge amount of money but mm-hmm. ultimately like when i bought the thing and it went up you know i didn't i didn't sell it because i was like look i have an idea of where this is going over two to three years and we're not there yet well so right? here let, let's use that as an example we'll obviously won't use dollar amounts but let's use percentage amounts like how sure. much would you say over maybe not your overall portfolio but your cannabis portfolio how much would you say in terms of percentage would you, would you be down just so, here, rough figure. L- l- so let me let me tell you something kind of funny um one of the reasons I think that I have a bit of an you know, advantage in terms of not freaking out is that I don't track my uh, portfolio P&L as a percentage. So I have different accounts as well as private investments. So mm-hmm. I have written out for my own purposes all of my investments just so I know what I have and where I have them and how much, but I have them all entered at cost. And I don't like I don't think if it, if it, if things go up like you know 10 20 30% I don't think to myself oh I m- just made x amount of dollars. I don't even check that honestly. I I literally only um look at what's my allocation and what what's my cash position. So like Abby I couldn't even tell you um how much I was up or down in the last month or two months or three months. Oh wow, okay. All right. Well, then this analogy is not going to really work that well. Yeah, I, um, so I just thought it was an interesting tidbit because I actually think that helps me because when you're going, when you look at, when people get so jacked up, they're like, oh my God, I just made you know X dollars, X dollars. They get so excited. But then when it goes the other way, 
there's a pit in their stomach that they just lost like like huge amounts of money. Right. I mean, but I mean, in in that regard, I would say so. First of all, that's a very unique perspective. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. So like, how do so you so you look at your cash position and then you look at your allocation, like with respect to your cash position. Like basically, I have a spreadsheet, right, that summarizes right. all of my positions mm-hmm. and how much money I put into each position, right, at at cost roughly. And maybe I can mark it upwards if you know the stock has doubled or tripled or whatever, right. But right. I don't, I don't adjust these um, these marks every day. I don't even I adjust them maybe once a quarter, right. Okay. The, the purpose of the spreadsheet is just because I have money in like these private names and different accounts. So I want to just keep track of where everything is. Right. Right. That's the purpose of the sheet. So when I look at it, I go, oh, I have like these three private MSOs. I have these three public MSOs. I want to maybe get more money into A, B, and C company. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not to say, it's not to track my, my, how I'm doing week over week or month over month. It's just mm-hmm. to see where my money is. So, I mean, okay. So, you know what? I was going to use that as an, this is the analogy I was going to go with. I would assume that, you know, if you, knowing your positions, I'd say you're probably down 30% max, right? Sure. On, yeah, on so your portfolio. Like that. sure. That's just over the yeah, last so like just, three weeks or something though. Yeah. And like what I was going to get, at was okay. 30% max right now seems like a lot. It's, it's an insane percentage. But then if you, the conviction that you have for this space you wholeheartedly believe that this space is going to be worth at least five, 10 X in the next five years. Yeah. Typically if I'm buying something, I, I see a path for, you know, several X and then, you know, if you get frothy, it could be 10 X. Right. So if you have that long-term horizon, and this is just a little, literally this is just a speed bump and you've got enough dry capital to sort of buy back in. Right. And that's how I think a lot of people need to look at the space. If, if you're not going to try to time the market and if you want to, if you have the a, if you have the means to buy back in, right. If you have dry powder on the side, if you have conviction behind the names that you hold um, and if you believe in the space, then yes, you shouldn't really be looking at day-to-day movements. Well, again, like I just want to be very clear here. Like this is up to everybody to determine what their strategy is, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, starting from a position where like you're trying to rapidly build wealth, um, then I get it, right? I, I get it. Sometimes swing trading or timing the market or whatever is a very effective um, way because, you, you know, you're, you're trying to, uh, you're playing a different game essentially. Now, it might not be a great game because again, coming from the commercial real estate world, um, I've seen how you know, you, you start investing like, again, when I even just started my career in 2013 or 14, um, you could buy industrial buildings at 50 bucks a foot, very comfortably, like, like no issues. And now those same buildings could be worth 200 or 250 a foot without blinking an eye. So you've gone four or five X in seven years. And, you know, we might say, okay, that's not that great. But in the commercial real estate world, that's unbelievable because, on your original down payment, your actual equity, you might have gone, you know, twenty um, x, right? Because you're you're only using a little bit of down payment to go five x, right? Mm-hmm. So so, but if you had told somebody or asked somebody in 2014, hey, how much is this thing going to be worth in 10 years? They never would have been able to to predict that, um, you know, the, the, it would have gone to this price. Like it just seems too ludicrous. Right. So that's how you get, you know, build real fabulous wealth is um, holding things that, you know, you think are valuable over a longer period of time. And mm-hmm. sometimes the, the prices of 
you know, 10 years from now, you know, the, the yesteryear prices don't even make any sense. Right. And a good comparable would be like if you were buying these these big, you know, tech names even five years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, just such a different world uh, where they were trading. That definitely makes sense. I do want to say with that real estate example, because I, okay, with that real estate example, you know, if you had bought that 10 years ago, you couldn't have gone to anybody who purchased that asset and been like, hey, how much do you think this asset is worth today? And they probably wouldn't have given you a down number. You know, just like randomly throughout. And what I mean by that is real estate doesn't get repriced every second. Right. Like the okay. stock market does. Yep. Okay? Yep. Sure. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's really easy to do in theory, okay? And this is what, like, I really want to get a, get a point across. And this is why, look, I think Warren Buffett is a, a fantastic investor. He's probably he is probably one of the best and smartest investors, obviously, of, of of any generation. But not everybody can do a strategy, right? Because he is probably not normal. Like he, you know, well, I mean, he's yeah, he's exceptional. He is like literally yeah. the the cream of the cream. Exactly. And so. Um, you know, we, we try to replicate stuff like this, but in theory, it makes sense. But in practice, it's a lot more difficult and it requires a lot of discipline. A lot of people are just getting into investing for the first time. And so where I'm trying to get get at with this is on the real estate example, yeah, sure, you're not looking at it, right? You're never touching that bar of soap. It's just sitting there. Um, but listen, if that bar of soap is in your eyesight every single day, when you wash your hands, you're going to start using it every single day, right? And that's kind of what's happening with, with, with the markets here. Um, Yes. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. And we've said, you know, I say multiple times, people get rich in real estate because they can't panic sell, right? Because right. they can't sell something quickly. The point I'm just making, Abby, is that, you know, the when, when I'm holding something and you say, hey, is this going to go 10x? You know, today it looks, it's kind of silly to say, oh, this thing's going to go 10x. But when you look forward a couple of years, you can understand, like I lived through this in real estate, right? Where, where things went, um, you know, not not in my eight years it went 10x, but you look at prices from you know um, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, and and things really went nuts, right? Now I'm not saying that's going to happen again. I'm just saying I saw how you know th- this rising tide lifted all ships. How mm-hmm. you went from a uh, privatized, fragmented, kind of sleepy market, which was Toronto commercial real estate, to suddenly you know interest rates going down that helps commercial real estate. Um, a city getting better that helps rent growth and institutional capital coming in, mm-hmm. right? And and pushing up prices and compressing yields. So, again, I see a similar story playing out in U.S. cannabis. When you think, um, you know, private capital unlocking the door to institutional capital, improving fundamentals, right? Structural changes in the way, um, you know, uh, uh, capital is allocated. You know, if we think about, you know, uh, safe and and bank lending and stuff like that so just huge huge catalysts ahead that mm-hmm. can make today's valuations look really really cheap in the rear view mirror mm-hmm. but i don't know if we're talking about three years or five years or ten years mm-hmm. and so let me ask you another question so two questions this was a really long-winded way for us to get to the real question i want to ask you after you gave your your uh your your strategy there um if you're not tracking prices as closely as most of us are, then how do you know when to buy in terms of the dip? I'm tracking prices all the time. So, okay. so I have um, actually the, the funniest thing. I use the simplest thing. I use my iPhone stock app. 
which um, used to be on that 15 minute delay. And now it's like basically instant. Like, I don't, that's awesome how they did it. So I have like tons of cannabis stocks on there and then some like general tech stocks and stuff, not because I invest in those, but just because I want to feel the pulse of the market. Um, And I will, I track those all the time, probably too much. So I have an idea of, you know, when, uh, at what price Verano is interesting to me, right? I have an idea of what price a GTI is interesting to me. So I'm looking at that all the time. And that's how I decide when to to buy in um, or maybe even trim, right? If, if I have other opportunities, but um, I'm tracking that all the time, but I'm not, what I'm not tracking, Abby, is I'm not tracking like, oh, you know, GTI is up 10%. That means I made X dollars today. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. That's what I'm not tracking. And I think mentally that really helps me because I don't feel, I don't get as euphoric when it's going up and I don't get as depressed when it's going down. Right. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So I, I mean, let's, let's get into the meat of this because we're, we're already 20 minutes in here. So, um, so let, let's talk about big picture of the market. Cause I think this is really important. So bond yields continue to rally. Um, the 10 years now about one and a half percent. And I think it's heading to 2%. I don't know if it's heading they're super like fast, like tomorrow, but over time, I think it's heading up now who cares, right? I work in commercial real estate and I work in financing. So to me, you know, my industry is extraordinarily sensitive to, um, interest rates, but you know, why should the average stock investor care? Well, when yields go up, it reprices equity, you know, equity yields have to also go up, which means prices should theoretically come down. Um, but more importantly, you know, in the short term, we've talked about technicals and capital flows dictate how the market behaves in the short term. And when yields were rock bottom, when bonds were really low, nobody wants to buy bonds. So money has to flow to stocks because there's something called TINA. There is no alternative. So when the bonds start rising, then the market reallocates and it starts pushing more money towards the bonds. And, you know, you and I, Abby, we don't buy bonds because we're not, you know, a hundred years old, but if you're a real institution, you have to buy bonds. It's part of Mm -hmm. your portfolio. And they typically quote a 60, 40 equity bond portfolio. So if you think about it, like a, a, you know, the institutions that run billions and billions of dollars, when they reallocate even 5% from one category to the other, we're talking about billions of dollars flowing from one bucket to the other, Mm -hmm. right? So this is huge amounts of capital flowing back and forth between debt and equity. And theoretically, as as the rates rise, some of that capital should shift from the equity towards the bonds. And that you know, is a headwind or a challenge for equity markets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the other thing to think about is um, growth stocks take a hit because of two things. One, some of these, especially text names, their multiples are so ridiculous, like talking about, you know, over a hundred or higher um, that people just been buying them at any number. And so those get reined in now, right? Because the, the um, you know, when your interest rate goes from one to two, uh, then a, a you know a tech yield of of two percent doesn't make sense anymore. But more importantly, all these DCF you know discounted future cash flow calculations they use the um, interest rate in determining the value of money over time. And if you've ever played with these things, which I don't do a lot of, but I've you know I've, mm-hmm. I've 
played with before. When you change the cost of money from you know half a percent to two percent, uh, it has a huge change in how much you know companies are worth in the long term, right? And again, realistically, if you're thinking that the cost of money is going to be half of a percent for ten years forever, I mean that's kind of silly. Yeah, like two percent is still historically low. It is, but so, sorry, go but. Ahead. Yeah, no, but but you're going off of an even lower base, right? So you're look, you're going from you know one. I think we talked about this last time. You're going from one point five percent. This in this example, you're going from one point five percent to two percent, right? Or right. even like more recently, you're going from like you know half a percent or something to one and a half is what happened yeah. recently. So that spooked the market. Yeah, exactly. That that's a sharp rise, and that's that's a three x return. That's three hundred percent. Yeah, to to yeah, sure. Three to go from fifty basis yeah. points to one hundred fifty basis points. Massive, That's massive a, swing. Exactly. Um, so, you know, so the, let me. Yeah, sorry, sorry, let me just finish this point off. So, um, basically, this now. So, so basically, we have to ask ourselves, what do you do? Like, like in terms of, so first of all, how bad will the pain be? How long will the pain last? And what do you do about it? Like, you know, so one strategy, um, and I was talking to hedge fund Steve about this. Very sophisticated guy, has tons of money in the market, very invested in cannabis. You know, do you sell now and do you buy it back later, right? If you think this pain mm -hmm. is coming, how do you navigate that, right? Um, and, and last thing I'll say is, to me, you know, the bonds going from 1% to 2% is not the end of the world. It's a, you know, obviously it's happening very quickly and that's that's scaring people, but to me, that is natural and healthy, and things if things should be priced accordingly. Right. To me, the scary part was when the world was shutting down, and it, we didn't know which businesses were going to survive. Mm -hmm. This drive in yield is being caused by optimism about the future, and you know I've been a pessimist, as you guys know, on this podcast for almost a year now, almost exactly a year. Um, I have never been more. I shouldn't say never, but over the last year, I haven't been this optimistic in a really long time. Like we've got these vaccines out. We figured out COVID. Yes, there might be variants. Yes, we might need a booster shot in the future. But um, and, and yes, by the way, the world has changed. Things will be different than they were going into this. But, uh, you know, I think the party is about to be back on. And I mean, I'm talking about the metaphorical party of living our lives, but mm -hmm. I mean also a literal party. Like you're going to be able to go out and do things that we have not been able to do in a very long time. And I don't, I think you're going to find out very quickly that zoom and you know, these, these um, virtual things are not nearly as good as being able to have a beer with somebody and, and go to a bar and spend some money um, and so I'm very optimistic for the economy getting on back on track very quickly in the next 60, 90 days. Wow. Okay. 60, 90 days. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, like, look, on just to make a comment on that last part there, I agree with you. Um, I, I'm quite optimistic on the world, the, the economy and the world reopening uh, and Main Street, you know, us going out to a bar and, and doing all that, all that fun stuff. And uh, I, th I think that's going to create more jobs. I think some of the service industry is going to come back. We don't know what the world's going to look like. You know, it, it could be different for, for each uh, country. Um, but I think, you know, employment is going to start, unemployment sorry, is going to start declining. Um, and then, 
we'll start seeing just remnants of what we classified as normal life pre-pandemic sort of come back. And that, and that does have me excited as well. So, you know, I don't think that optimism is misguided. I think it's actually warranted. And I, and you know, you've heard my theory on this is that I think when the world does open up, right, guys like you and I, and hopefully listeners of this podcast are sitting on some large capital gains and they're going to start taking some money out of the, out of the capital markets and sort of realizing it and, uh, you know, going on a vacation. What I mean by going on a vacation, like, let's say typically, I don't know, we're, we're Canadian. We, we go south for the, for the winter, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'll go to Mexico, Florida or whatever. Um, maybe next year we, we won't do that. Maybe we'll go to Dubai or something, right? Just because we have, we're sitting with a little bit more money. And what, what I'm trying to get at with that and the reason I say that is because I'm in a bunch of group chats with guys who are just like, hey, like, you know, we need to go someplace exotic once this once once the right. world opens back up. Celebrate right? our freedom. Exactly. And I think and I and I don't think I'm the only person that I don't think it's only on my group chats that are doing this. I think a lot of other people have the same idea. Right. And so now we're gonna see, you know, some people start realizing some capital gains. How like impactful and meaningful will it be? Well, remember, pre-pandemic retail accounted for ten percent of capital markets activity. During the pandemic, it accounted for 30%. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a massive increase. Totally. And I mean, so, in cannabis, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's that's the whole market. That's not just cannabis uh, in particular. But right. like, you got to well, remember- It's a little more institutional now, but I hear you. Retail is a driving force. For sure. Retail is now forced to be reckoned with in broader markets. But now those people are going to go back to work, right? You know, work from home- you're not, it's not the same as being in the office. Like even though you're on a Zoom call all the time, you can have, you can have your stocks up on a screen. You don't have somebody looking over your shoulders. Like it's just different, right? Unquestionably, think, unquestionably. Exactly. And I don't think people are going to be looking at stocks as much as they were um, during the pandemic when people do start coming back from work. So now we have less eyeballs, right? On, mm-hmm. on, on the stock market. So you, mm-hmm. who knows, uh, like, you know, maybe, maybe meme stocks won't skyrocket as much. I don't know. I'm just, just throwing that out there. Um, You've got people taking capital gains. You've got people being distracted, going back to normal life. Capital markets will probably, like retail activity will probably normalize. Maybe it'll, maybe we'll go back down to 10% because some people have learned a new skill. They liked what they did. Maybe it goes down to 2025, maybe it goes to 2015%, right? Um, that's still a pretty big de- like decrease in terms of money that's actually in the markets. Well, especially in, again, going back to cannabis, like cannabis is probably, I mean, I'm just making this up. It could be 70, 75% retail. Right. Depends right. on the name, really. Um, but I, I take your point. And the other thing, too, is, you know, right now people aren't spending that much money because they're sitting at home. So then the right. money goes into the market. Um, and but secondly, it's not just money. It's their time. Right. So mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. There's there's going into work and doing but really like living your life. If you go on a vacation, you're probably not checking your stocks every day. Right. No, if you exactly. go, you know, if you can go out and have beers with your friends and have a good time. You know, again, it, it pulls away from this sitting in front of the screen all day, which is probably good, but I take your point. It could affect the market, right? And how does it affect the market? We don't know. Um, so let me just, let, let's get into the next thing, which is the stimulus. So giant $1.9 trillion US stimulus package getting done. It passed narrowly. So there've been some articles and some some decent points that look like this was supposed to be kind of the easier thing to get done. And yet this passed like 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 scraped by the Senate. So it shows how even the easy things are hard to pass these days. So what do you think that means for safe and, uh, you know, the future um, legalization bill that they're going to pass for cannabis? I mean, 
these are not going to be easy things to get done. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's an interesting tidbit. Um, another, it is funny thought about the stimulus, right? Um, cause the market kind of rallied when the stimulus got, you know, passed, but if the market scare was caused by inflation, you know, because essentially the world reopening means inflation. So that's where the bond yields went up. Doesn't this like $2 trillion stimulus make inflation worse? It will. Yeah. Cause more money's being printed, but let, let's hold on. I, I want to go back to the stimulus talk because yeah, what please. I was trying to get at was sort of leads into this. So it was, it was a good segue into what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. So now we've got people, you know, going back to work, doing everything, uh, re-stimulating the economy, mm-hmm. um, which means that right now we're not there, right? Like we're, we're still locked down here, you know, t- like some in Texas and whatnot, like we're, we're starting to open back up, but as it stands today, which is what Monday, the 8th, if mm-hmm. March 8th, 2021, mm-hmm. we're still locked down. Right, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're still social distancing. So it makes sense to have stimulus over here. But I don't think we'll see a stimulus bill next year. You know, 2022, I don't think we'll see a stimulus bill. And the reason I say that is because uh, a lot of investors think that economic growth is going to roar ahead in 2021, which then causes a rise in inflation. And as a result, bond buyers are demanding, you know, higher returns to make up for the price of, uh, of erosion in their capital. And mm-hmm. they're getting rewarded right now. And you're 100% right in terms of does is is this cheap money that's being printed, it's got to be paid back, right? So that's what that's that's what you're getting at, right? In terms of, is there going to be inflation? How is this money going to get paid back? Well, you know, price of goods goods and services are going to increase to sort of pay back the debt. Yeah, that wasn't my, my point, but the, just the point being that, you know, inflation's, the idea is yields are going up because inflation's coming. If we put more money into people's hands, that's more inflation. It is. It's more inflation down the line, though. You're kicking the t- you're kicking it down. It's like deferring taxes, basically, right? You still have to pay those taxes. You're just kicking it down the line. Yeah, but if you just follow for a second, yields are going up because of inflation. Yields are going up, then stocks are going down, right? So, but then that reversed when the stimulus bill got you know passed, right? Mm-hmm. But again, if you just follow the the logic, like the market has been trained to think now that stimulus means the market goes up, which is true. Because it puts more money in people's hands. Some of those people, like the retail we were talking about, uh, you know, there's a survey that like over half of them are planning to put their check into the market, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't really need it, um, which, which is fine, right? That's their money. They're allowed to do it. Uh, so again, the thinking is, okay, this will give another boost to the market. But, you know, then what, right? Then the idea is like, to your point, Abby, there's not going to be much more stimulus unless, you know, it's more targeted to really pockets that really, really need it. So after this leg up, then does it get really nasty? And again, this is all short term trying to figure out which way the wind is going to blow, which is really, really difficult. Right. Right. It, it is. And, you know, to summarize that, I would say there's three real drivers um, of what's what's sort of going on, right, in terms of. I'd say, look, the economy is going to reopen. You got the stimulus that's being passed, and then there's huge pent up demand. People saving during the lockdown that's going to fuel this economic growth, right? Um, and if you put those three things together, obviously the economy is going to start opening, like reopening very aggressively. And I'm, I'm and I'm coming back to the stimulus with this, Manish. Um, and it's that as people as the economy starts to grow, and we don't get stimulus back in into the markets. Um, you know, it's going to give another sort of catalyst, more or less, of the economy improving, the stock market coming back down. Which, is again, kinda... is it's so funny, right? Like last year I was, you know, 
just like I I was like scratching my head saying this is the worst economy I've ever seen in my life and yet the best stock market, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like topsy-turvy bizarro world. It's like this is looking to be a phenomenal economy going forward. You've removed most of the, you know, fear that that I had going forward and yet the stock market is pulling back. Not to say it shouldn't pull back, right? I mean, SPY at 3800 when we started this thing, it was like 3000 or something or 3200 So like you can very realistically see a future where it pulls back 10% or so. That would not seem crazy at all, right? The, well, the broader yeah, so, market. Well, so you got to ask why the SPI will pull back. And if you look back on the three things that we were talking about, uh, the SPI will pull back because the SPI has a lot of growth companies and a lot of growth companies are highly levered. What that what that highly what a highly levered company means is they're using debt to fund their operations. As rates start to increase because we have to pay th- pay money back or because of inflation, their profit margins start to decrease. If their profit margins start to decrease, their price and their valuations become disconnected, and then because they're in the basket of the S and P five hundred, they'll start to come down as well. Yeah, but if if you follow that logic, Abby, then a company mm-hmm. that has no debt, their mm-hmm. price shouldn't move at all. It shouldn't. No, why would they? Right, but price that, move? but that's not. So that's what I'm saying. It's not really realistic because what happens is uh, you're right. Higher debt costs obviously is one factor, right? But I think a bigger factor is just multiples. And again, we I see this in real estate all the time is that, um, you know, to, to go out, if you have a, a building generating $1 of income, to go out and raise, to change $1 to $1.10 is actually not easy. Like, it, it, you know what I mean? It's a real business. It requires work and, and all mm-hmm. this stuff, right? But then- to, if you're getting a multiple of 20 times to just get 10% extra on the multiple, that's a lot mm-hmm. easier, right? That involves a good salesperson just, you know, getting somebody excited about the story, right? right? So it's a lot easier to move multiples around than it is to actually change the fundamentals of the business. But right. that goes both ways, right? right exactly. So yeah. The fundamental. So now, now, even if, even if the fundamentals stay the same, the multiple coming back now, it hurts. Right. Right. So my point is just uh, that's not done. Right. That that could easily keep going. And so that brings it to the point, Abby, like, you know, do you, let's say the stimulus unlocks another leg of, you know, euphoria and, and buying and flows into the markets. You know, do you do you try to fade that? Do you sell into that and try to raise some cash for what you feel could be some pain? Do you raise some cash? Do you like I'm asking you, right, as, as somebody who you know, is, is, has his finger on the pulse of the market. If the stimulus unlocks more upside here, are you selling into that? Or are you like, what's your, what's your thought on that? Well, so right now I'm in a unique position. I'm sitting in more cash than I am in equity. Right. Uh, okay. Because I did start, I started selling not last week. Yeah. I think it was last week. Um, it, maybe it was two weeks ago and I finished off the selling last week. Um, and that was just because I was, I actually had a different, thesis which was i was more concerned about the the non-farm payroll numbers sort of justifying um rising rates right because i think that uh, another thing we haven't talked about which is you know the fed stance uh just in general in terms of inflation and fed uh, fed fund rates uh has some investors worried right remember jerome powell did give us this market so you know lord giveth lord taketh away. Papa Powell giveth. <laughs> yeah and he's gonna now, come calling exactly and now he's um <clears throat> A little bit more skittish on what's going forward in terms of um, sort of uh, uh, Fed fund rates rising, and what I mean by that is 
uh, investors worried that like the overnight rates the central banks lend at will begin to slowly rise, right, without intervening. And that usually cools a market down, um, historically speaking. So um, that's that's also on the horizon for me. Couple that with, you know, um, the 10-year, where the 10-year treasuries are at. This stimulus package that came in, like I know you and I talked about it today, like I don't really have an, a, a, a concrete answer as to exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be buying into this. And I'm going to be buying into this because I'm sitting in more cash than I am uh, in equities right now. And I think we've got a couple months still of runway left. So 1.9, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, are you, you buy aggressively or do you buy kind of cautiously right now? I buy cautiously and I high grade the portfolio because I think in six, eight months, when the, like, I think you, you said, 60 to 90 days, right? For when you think the economy is going to open back up. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm saying that kind of broadly, like I, I, there's no set date, but I feel really good going into Q2 and I feel really, really good going into Q3 and four. Okay. Yeah. I, I was under the belief that around September, October was when a lot of, when the, the, the majority of the population was going to get vaccinated. Um, I think that was like our age group was around October uh, in Canada to receive the vaccine. I don't know if we're still on track for that or if, or if it's been uh, moved up. I know Biden wanted to move everything up to May. So if you take that and you take my thesis originally where I was saying that, okay, when the economy does open up, the markets do pull back, which might or might not happen, right? It's just how I'm going to play the portfolio. Um, then I would give my I would give myself about six months, I'd say we're, we're in March. Yeah, March, September, about six months. Right. And, and I would just sorry, just point out to you that like the vax, the vaccination, uh, I mean, in, in the US, we're doing up to 2 million people a day now. And uh, remember, you don't need to vaccinate, you know, kids, like you, you can't vaccinate kids, actually. Uh, so it's a huge chunk of the population, right? Um, you're doing so roughly 50 million, let's say doses a month. So, uh, you know, you're probably within four or five months, you've got the whole country vaccinated. And let's not forget, you don't need the whole country vaccinated. Like, once you get the vaccines up to 50 or 60% of the country, that's when you start hitting herd immunity, right? And probably like 10, 20% of the country has had COVID in the US because they did such a poor job of controlling it. So um, all I would say to you is, and you know, my stance on this is um, I'm just, I'm buying, right? But I would just say to you that six months, you know, for the world reopening is probably too long. I think by the time we get to even May, June and the weather has changed and we get to summertime, I really think you're going to see a lot more of closer to normal life. Um, very similar to last summer. I wouldn't say last summer was closer to normal life, but I think it was pretty good. Like, life, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty good, but this summer is going to be even better. I guess I, sh I should say one thing. I think a lot of our listeners already know I've been in Vancouver now for quite some time and their social, they're, they're like locked. They're not locked down. They're still in social distancing. Toronto is actually locked down. I think yeah, today we're, was the first lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, everyone's just sitting at home here, but again, I, think that's going to change. Okay, let's let's keep rolling. So um, there's some major potential catalysts coming up and coming up quickly. And this to me is uh, the, one of the biggest reasons why to me, I'm an aggressive buyer right now. And now the, you know, situation that I'm in, I have the ability to reload my cash account. So, you know, I have a certain amount of money in my investment accounts. I, you know, will run that down to zero if, if, you know, the market keeps softening or if I see the opportunities and then I have the opportunity to reload it. Right. So uh, mm -hmm. that's what I did last week. I reloaded the account. Hopefully this money, you know, I'm kind of mentally bookmarking this money to last me another, you know, month, two months. And then I have the opportunity to reload it. Right. So 
Um, that's the caveat of what I'm doing, right? But this is a big reason why is, is of course, I'm a bottom feeder. I would love to buy these things cheaper. Of course I would. Mm-hmm. But here are the big catalysts on the horizon that I want to discuss right now. Mm-hmm. New York legalization. Okay. April 1st is the budget deadline. They included in the budget. It's done. It looked like a slam dunk. And now, of course, like New York is just this, this state that always loves to mess it up. Cuomo's under fire. He's got all these things going on with him. Who knows if it's going to be his budget proposal or if it will be a different proposal that the legislature has. Um, but it represents something that I care about even more than the, the bigger stuff. A massive sales unlock in a crown jewel state. Uh, it's it's a question right now of if it will happen, right? Because of all this stuff that Cuomo's in and also how it will happen, right? Mm-hmm. What if they box out the big MSOs in favor of social equity? I think that would be a mistake. Obviously, I'm biased. I own a lot of those MSOs. I think it would be a mistake because you, if you want tax revenue and you want jobs, you need the big MSOs. GTI, for example, was talking about building 400,000 square feet over three facilities. That's like a $150 million project at least with a lot of jobs, like thousands of jobs, most likely. That's insane. Um, yeah. It's an insane. You're not going to get that. You can't get that type of money. I mean, even for GTI, it's not easy to come up with $150 million. It's a massive amount of money, right? Um, but the reality is New York is such a huge state. There's so much money to be made. I really think you can divide this pie many ways. You can take care of social equity, which is very important, very real, um, and also give the MSOs, you know, a path to be able to build, um, you know, build real businesses in this state. So that to me represents a huge potential catalyst, mm-hmm. right? But it also represents risk because we're going to find out in the next three weeks if it doesn't work. That would also be very disappointing if it got if they kick the can another year down the road. I mean, is that looking likely? I mean, before, you know, the last two weeks, I would have said, you know, 80, 90% chance. Now I think it's more of a coin toss. Okay. So are you still factoring that in as a catalyst in your investment decisions? Well, a, a cat, again, a catalyst is something that could happen, right? So when I look at New York, uh, like, so is it a catalyst that could happen? Of course. Like, it's probably still a little more than 50%. But um, like, if I owned Vireo, which I don't own Vireo anymore, but that is really mostly a New York story, right? They've got Minnesota, they've got Arizona, but New York is is kind of the the big asset for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have plenty of exposure to New York. I mean, I own Pharmacan. Pharmacan is one of the biggest producers in New York. I own Ascend. Ascend just bought MedMen's New York license. You know, I own uh, GTI and Cresco and those are New York, you know, they have New York operations, right? So I've got plenty of exposure there. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be chasing, um, you know, a single state New York operator, uh, which there isn't really one, but I wouldn't be buying Vireo for New York right now because, right, you know, I'm, I'm a little more hesitant, right? But if that happens, wow, what an absolute, you know, huge plus for the industry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it would be it's that that it, like that's that's still a pretty big if, right? Yeah, I, I mean, taking into consideration, I, yeah, I think it will happen, right? Whether it happens this year or next year, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Eventually, this is going to happen. I don't know when, mm-hmm. but you know, like New Jersey's going wreck. We can see that. Like New York's going to be surrounded by all wreck states. Like, how long can they keep kicking, kicking this can down the road? Right. 
So, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's inevitable. It will happen. It's just a matter of when. And, yeah, and, and, and exactly. Sorry, that's what I was trying to get at. So yeah. it, it could represent a lot of move to the upside. And then again, mm-hmm. if I've sold, and I'm waiting to get in cheaper, and that hits, that's the stuff people pay attention to, mm-hmm. right? So, and it's a real fundamental unlock. So I, I don't want to miss that. Okay, moving on. Another big potential catalyst is the SAFE Act. So the SAFE is a banking act. We've talked about it many times. Um, There's discussions. This is all rumor and conjecture about a SAFE Plus, which basically would be like SAFE, but also include, you know, some goodies like uplisting. Apparently, SAFE is going to come out in March. This is from Brady Cobb, CEO of Bluma. It's been repeated by Todd Harrison. Nobody knows. These guys don't know, but this is what they're hearing and they're telling us. Mm -hmm. We're in March. Right, there's not many days left in March. Yeah, if the Safe Act comes out as Safe Plus and has uplisting, my That's God, a what, catalyst. what an it is the catalyst. Uh-huh. It is an absolute game changer, not for the fundamentals of the business, but for the you know the 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 inflow of institutional capital. Um, unbelievably good for the industry. And again, what if I sell to raise some cash? And then uplisting hits with safe. I mean, you know, I'm going to be scrambling to get back in. <laughs> That's true. Right? Yeah. And I already lived through that once. I don't think this is fully priced in yet. There's just a little bit of chatter. I mentioned it to hedge fund Steve and he didn't even know about it. Right. So it's mostly like, yeah, go ahead. Okay, no, I, I was going to say, so like, yeah, like, let's take that into consideration. But um, have you ever considered this scenario? Like, let's say the SAFE Act Plus happens, you get a yeah. you get you get a, a re-rating and it occurs, let's just say that they give you a timeline of uh, mid-July or September, or whatever, we're going to make, we're gonna make okay. something up in the air, okay? And then the, the scenario that I'm thinking plays out where the world reopens, everyone's sort of coming back, like, you know, to, to fruition, um, and the market's correct. Mm-hmm. What do you think the impact would be? Would it be muted because institutions were probably going to be allowed to get be be brought in, and they would sort of just um, they will make up for the lack of retail demand? It's such a great question. I think about this all the time, like the different factors. Uh, first of all, let me just say, I actually don't care that much. Like, it's a weird thing to say, but ultimately, I see where this thing is headed. Mm-hmm. If the broader market's correct, I definitely think we get affected. I just don't see how we don't get affected, right? Of course. Even yeah. if we get safe plus with uplisting, we're they're not going to just uplist us tomorrow. I mean, some but of these like, guys. Well, yeah, th- think of it this way: imagine we had a bull market and then safe plus came in. Like, oh my god, think about that. Pit. Exactly, right? Like, yeah, that totally. is that is like the, the ultimate dream. blue sky opportunity. Like that that right. is the dream. That is exactly what we've been talking about forever. But it's like, what yeah. if we get robbed, and we have a uh, a correction, a market correction, a, a proper correction, not like a one-day blip. Then Powell comes in and saves the day, um, like an actual like 30 thirty percent correction over the span of let's say like you know eight to nine months. Safe act right. ends up happening. You know, do you think that impact gets muted, or or do you think it's just going to be like you know what it doesn't matter because that could be what saves everything. It could save the broader markets even because that now opens up the playing field for so many more investors to come in and there's going to be big checks that are going to come in. That'll sort of just bring everything back up. Well, I seriously doubt cannabis saves the broader markets first. Well, you you never know, right? Because remember cannabis, you and I discussed this is actually um, does well during recessions. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I hear you. I I, I take your point, but 
big picture, if the broader markets sell off and tech names and speculative names, like we're in a very speculative environment. So right. as that gets reined in, we, I think we get absolutely crushed because like we've talked about retail runs things. They've never seen a real, like, you know, real pullback, real losses. Right. You got a little taste of that the last couple of weeks where the market pulls back two or 3%. Cannabis pulls back 10% on certain right. names. Right? right. So, um, so, but I'll say this, Abby, if we get safe plus with uplisting, and then let's say this summer the market's correct and cannabis is getting pummeled. What a gift that would be. And and yeah. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be shy about that. I would be on here saying, guys, I'm putting every penny I have in. I'm backing up the truck because ultimately it's the, the best market opportunity. The mar- yeah, but also the market will be a weighing machine. And when they figure out what we already know about these companies, exactly, they will start buying, right? And that's what I was sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, that's that's what I was going to sort of allude to is that okay, look, you've now you've got the uplisting, right, which is a big catalyst that we were expecting. You've got institutional capital coming in. Couple that with the backdrop of imp- of actually improving fundamentals, because as things as recessions tend to happen, or if the market markets do pull back, people are going to spend more time smoking weed uh, or buying cannabis, and you're going to start seeing sales figures sort of just get improved. Headlines will read, you know institutional investors, you know, uh, inter cannabis on the backdrop of improving fundamentals. I don't write headlines. Clearly you can see. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't read them. Yeah, clearly. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But like, 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 like you, you get what I'm trying to say here, right? Your, your, your point is a great one, which is that, um, there's just so many things, right? Like there's institutions coming in and, and, and saying, Hey, like, we're getting involved. The the JVs and the acquisitions are going to happen from the various industries coming in. Like it's already happening. We're mm-hmm. already seeing this wave of, you know, a hundred million dollar checks going in. That's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. I mean, you know, like I don't want to get, you know, too dream too big here, but like you think about like Kathy, Kathy Wood, Kathy Woods, who has runs ARK Invest and she's like, yeah. you know, the big Tesla investor and, the, and this kind of stuff. And her whole thing is, you know, investing in innovation. Um, and I'm not saying her because I don't know her that well, but, you know, funds like that are going to notice this cannabis story when it's actually in front of them. And it's mm-hmm. not in front of them until uplisting happens. Right. And mm-hmm. the thing with cannabis in general and also with safe, people are very much in the mentality of, hey, you know, you fool me once. Shame on me. Right. Fool me once. Can't get fooled again. Right. That's their <laughs> That's where people are right now because they're like, yeah, I don't want to touch cannabis. I lost 90% on Aurora. I'm not doing this again. Right. Right. I lived through this of, uh, oh, safe is coming. Oh, um, um, you know, the States Act is coming. Let's buy these ahead of that. That was in 2019. And those never materialized. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are dangerous words. But this time is different. You don't have Mitch McConnell anymore. Now, does that mean they get it done? I don't know. But Mitch McConnell was the biggest roadblock, right? And now he's gone. So this could actually happen or at least get a straight up or down vote, which it's never had before. Right. So last catalyst is this full legalization bill that they've been talking about, right? So, and they haven't been, you know, oh, mentioning it here and there. Like um, uh, Schumer, Chuck Schumer, the Senate majority leader has been actively pushing this, pounding the table when he doesn't have to be like, he could easily 
be saying, we're going to handle it later. We've got COVID to worry about. Instead, he's been out there giving interviews, you know, him and Cory Booker, like out there, like they're, they're campaigning on this. This is real. And actually Mm -hmm. from a political standpoint, it's a beautiful wedge issue because, um, you know, when you look at the polling numbers, 60% of people support it. You know, states like Mississippi passed it with 70% of the vote. Again, I think you have to have a hole in your brain to vote, you know, to be actively opposed to this. So I've got a good feeling. I don't know if the federal legalization will happen. It's a very, it's going to be a big, messy bill with a lot of things to figure out. Um, But eventually this stuff is going to happen. The question is when, and are the expectations priced in already or are they not mm-hmm. i would tend to say most of the expectations for you and i they might be somewhat priced in but for the average person they're not because the average person can't buy anything that's not on the nasdaq i i also i don't i don't think they are actually priced in even for guys like you and i like is the question sorry i never answered that question when i was saying what like the question was am i buying and it's yes i'm slowly going to trickle in but it's like what am i buying right uh, and I've always said high grade the portfolio. And in my opinion, right now, to high grade the portfolio is AYR strategies or mm-hmm. AYR wellness mm-hmm. and um, Columbia Care. Mm-hmm. Those are the two names that I'd be buying into right now. And those are and those are a good meld of you know value, um, you know, big MSOs with still very valuable, uh, sorry, very reasonable valuations, attractive valuations actually. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I would say. Yeah, I would say just on the precipice of turning into like a bigger MSO. You know, yeah, you're I, in I, that second quartile range, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, when you said high grade, I thought that meant you were selling all your Dogecoin and buying Bitcoin. Is that how you pronounce it? I've been calling it Dogcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the verbal equivalent wow. of switch my teeth for so long. Unreal. Dogecoin? Dogecoin, oh, yeah. But it was like doggy coin. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a picture of a Shiba on it. Yeah, it's it's a meme. It's a the Doge meme. That's why. It's, oh, it's, that's uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So let's let's uh, as we wrap it up here, let's get to the the end and the actual just sort of what we're actually doing. So um we're going into earnings season. Uh Cureleaf and Acreage both reporting on Tuesday. Um Acreage people don't really care about, but Cureleaf certainly people do. Uh that'll be interesting. The big thing about Cureleaf is they're going to, you know, they're going to be putting up over a billion dollars of revenue um o- over the year. So, you know, if they give guidance, uh, which, you know, um, Alan Brockstein thinks they might, that could be really interesting because a billion dollars is hard to ignore. Uh, AYR is reporting on Thursday, you know, still have to close a bunch of acquisitions. So it's, you know, but their margins have been really, really impressive. So that'll be a good one to watch. Um, GTI is coming next week. And over the next couple of weeks, there's going to be basically every company reporting. So huge huge you know um news cycle but you know it's kind of funny like i don't know how the market's going to react um the growth could be kind of muted uh q3 q2 and 3 the warmer months are usually better months for cannabis but more importantly it depends if you have assets turning online and q3 um you know gti and cresco had lots of assets coming online and they had Mm -hmm. massive uh beats on revenue um so I don't know if that'll happen again. Um, yeah. And honestly, I, I don't, I haven't been tracking it that closely, so I don't know. Well, I think you mentioned that. I think you or Broxy mentioned that in one of the episodes um, or maybe right on his thing, but he was, you, I think you were saying that, um, you know, the crazy beat on GTI going forward won't necessarily be there based on exactly what you're talking about right now. 
So it depends, right? So um, in general, like same store sales are, are, you know, good. I mean, they're probably great compared to a, a you know, a similar type of industry, right? Or sorry, uh, um, any other industry. But, um, you know, the real juice is turning an asset on. So if mm-hmm. you expand your cultivation footprint and then you get your first couple of harvests out, that that's what happened with Cresco in, in Illinois and Pennsylvania um, in Q3, right? So, it, you know, Q4, if you don't have assets coming online, it's huge. It's hard to get a huge pop, right? Um, also in, in, you know, Q4, markets didn't really flip. So, you know, Arizona flipped um, in Q1 of 2021 and went full rec. So that'll be, a, you know, you'll see that in the next quarter results. Mm-hmm. Um, New Jersey is is uh, probably not flipping till later this year. So again, hard to say what it'll be. Um, but again, maybe also our expectations are muted and maybe there is another beat. I, I don't know, right? Right. Uh, right. As we know, the financials actually don't seem to matter that much in terms of short-term movement. It's really mm-hmm. the headline. If you have a good, sexy headline, which sometimes is nonsensical, people mm-hmm. buy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right? So I, I don't know. We'll see. But I the good news is I if you actually dig into these financials, mm-hmm. I bet you we're gonna see some really good stuff across the US sector. Um and if you're looking at Canadian companies, by the way, it's gonna look embarrassing. <laughs> like the Canadians are gonna be embarrassed by what the US guys are doing. Yeah, that's very true. Can I can I ask one thing? So remember earnings season, let's just say not even not I don't want to say 2020 this year because it was a really obviously a really weird year, but like Q4 2019, right? When those or sorry, Q3 2019 when those earnings came out. How nervous were you back then versus how like ecstatic are you right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, um, you know, earnings season in general in 19 and up really until Q2 or Q3 of last year. Um, was never that great because ultimately all of these companies, except for TrueLeave, um, their margins weren't that good. They weren't on a solid footing. Yeah. Yeah. Or or if they were, you know, they were maybe a little break even like the financials really messy. Now we're talking about 25, 30% uh, EBITDA margins, 40 if you're Verano, you know, 50 if you're TrueLeave, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are massive EBITDA margins, right? So, um, to answer your question, I'm way less nervous now. Like it's, you know, this is going to be fun earning season. It's yeah. a question of, you know, how well is everyone doing? Um, Columbia Care, by the way, pre-reported and they were a little bit soft, um, which is funny. They went from like 50 million to like 80 million quarter over quarter top line, mm-hmm. but it was all M&A. So like the, it kind of shows you the the organic growth was, was a little soft. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I mean, they went a huge revenue ramp and that's going to continue for Columbia quarter over quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, if you take that as a baseline, yep. it probably means that same store growth is going to be relatively muted. Um, I haven't done truly yet, so I should look at what Florida is going to do. Um, but Florida actually looks pretty strong overall. Nice. Yeah. I'm so, excited for that one. Yeah. Getting into the, that just the very end here and wrap it up. Um, huge potential across the U S still to be unlocked even just this like fundamentals from Arizona and New Jersey, which are already already locked in, right? That mm-hmm. itself is massive runway this year, but we've got this m- more stuff coming and coming. Um, multiples have been getting stretched and that makes me uncomfortable, but this mm-hmm. pullback is making it cheaper and that helps me to buy again. Uh, could they go lower? Of course they could go lower. Uh, if I, could ex- I would expect the broader markets to go lower. And if that happens... 
we still have poor-ish liquidity on the OTC and CSE. These companies have way outgrown the CSE. Like we're talking, you know, five, eight, ten billion dollar companies still trading on the penny stock exchanges. Yeah. This creates huge opportunities when selling happens and it creates very weird volatility that we need to take advantage of. The strategy comes down to your positioning. Are you already loaded to the gills? Are you trading on margin? Because if so, you're stuck and you probably should lighten up. Can you reload your account if you run out of money like I can? Then you should probably be more aggressive. Lastly, what's your tolerance? Can you withstand a two-year bear market? Abby, to your point, if the market takes a huge dive and you know cannabis is obviously not immune to that, it probably is more sensitive to that. And let's say safe gets delayed, uplisting gets delayed. Can you withstand a super long bear market in the in the you know that goes in the tank? And do you have the ability to add more over time? And if the answer is no, you should probably have a cash reserve. If the answer is yes, then maybe you can be more aggressive right now. Yeah, that's very well put. I would say you have to be in a very unique situation to do that, though. So you know, really be truthful to yourself to see where you are. Absolutely, but you know, the average person get the you know a, a paycheck right and theoretically i'm assuming they, they have something they can put away every month to invest right mm-hmm. so you kind of think about that going forward not to say you keep zero cash but you know but again if you stretch yourself too thin you've you've already caused issues for yourself right, right. And you got to think about you know your tax payment's going to be due pretty soon if you made a bunch of money last year have you set aside your taxes already yeah right uh, lastly do you know what you hold the industry is going to do really well. It's going to reward a lot of people, even people who don't deserve it. Um, and I mean, companies and, and you know, sure investors, but it's not carte blanche to buy whatever you want at any price, mm-hmm. right? You, you still have to be, you still have to know what you're buying. Do you know what the valuations are of what you're buying? Right? Like Abby, you know, you asked me about me tracking prices of stocks. I can tell you offhand, almost my core positions where they're trading at, if the price goes down, when they get interesting, and what multiples they're trading at. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, when it when something gets, you know, when Verano breaks below 20 bucks US, that kind of, I go, oh, interesting. Okay, let's let's get back to the old calculator here and figure out, you know, how, how interested I am right now, mm-hmm. right? I know what I hold and doesn't mean I'm going to be right, but it gives me a lot of confidence in what I do. Right. In the downturns, these down-the-middle names, these high-quality names, the GTIs, they look really good. <laughs> but sometimes when there's a lot of fear, the unloved names look even better. And the reason is people support these big blue-chip, or we call them green-chip names. Um, and GTI will always have buyers. It will have supporters unless things go off the rails. Uh, but some of these you know, smaller guys like AYR, you know, Columbia, or even go down a, you know, a step, People don't know them at the first sign of trouble, they might dump them. And that to me is a, where I can take advantage sometimes. So that's my strategy. doesn't mean it should be your strategy, but just, you know, be aware of, uh, you know, the dynamic and then decide how you want to adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very important too, to know. Abby, as we uh, sign off, any kind of final thoughts you want to leave people with, you know, buying the dip versus waiting versus, you know, trimming? I mean, I really think you've got to look at your own portfolio, be very honest with yourself. And and, and the biggest question is, yeah, you, you might think you can handle 
a bear market, you might think you can handle a lot of loss, but when it actually happens, it's very painful. So just just keep mm. that in mind, and uh, you know, always always tread cautiously. And like you said, you know, know exactly what it is that you hold, um, because if you don't, uh, you know, you're just putting yourself at you're just exposing that much risk that you're not, you're not able to quantify, right? And when things go down and you don't know what you're what you hold, um, you're gonna panic sell. You're also gonna be in for some really tough decisions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, guys. CINpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.